you could say that the theme of messy church isn't really a good subject a week after the church tidy up day. Thank you, by the way, for everybody who tidied up the church, and um, I will look at the... Although we have got lots of plastic down there, that's good. But it's not actually about that that we're talking about today. And particularly in my address now, I'm not actually talking about messy church in that sense. I'm not talking about messy church in the sense of teenager's bedroom or minister's study messy. Sorry, did I look at you, Andrew? I'm the same. I'm not talking about an untidy room as such. I'm talking about how church shouldn't be regimented or fixed or inflexible or, or critical when people don't do things in a normal way. Tidy church does, after all, put constraints even upon God. But messy church allows for the spirit to work sometimes in random ways in the lives of individuals, in the worship life of the church, and also in shaking up the structures of church locally and nationally. So messy church is good in that spiritual sense. In some of our churches, Jesus would simply not be allowed to do some of the things he did when he was on earth because he drew in and attracted very messy people into his kingdom. The Pharisees were constantly carping about the way he didn't stick to the rules and complaining about how messy his healings were. On a Sabbath, that was rules that he broke, but also when he helped people with messed up lives, he impacted the religious people and he got into trouble. I like it that this church is messy and long may it be so. Never let anybody spiritually tidy it up. I love that on Tuesday when someone came out of the church, they said to somebody, great church, funky, isn't it? Andrew is, as we speak, trying to design a banner with those words on it. Messy church, reaching out into the community, evangelism. Have you ever heard the debate about not what came first, the chicken and the egg, but what came first in evangelism? Belonging, believing, or behaving. What do you think comes first in somebody's life? Do they need to know first that they belong, they're part of the family? First that they really believe and understand what they believe or first that they come in and they sit neatly and they behave before they're acceptable in the kingdom of God? What should come first? Sometimes people come with different first agendas but God actually welcomes everybody, messy people, whether they believe, whether they behave, and whether they really feel they belong into his messy church. Because messy church allows the awesome power of God to bring release and healing, freedom and blessing to people wherever they are, whether they behave, whether they believe, and whether they really feel they belong. He wants them to know that they can be part of his kingdom. You see, messy church, I I firmly believe, really was Jesus' agenda. He said, I have come to proclaim good news to the poor, proclaim freedom for prisoners, sight for the blind, freedom for the oppressed. And, well, he came to allow that to happen. 
And to allow that to happen, he needed to welcome the poor. He needed to welcome prisoners. He needed to welcome the blind and the oppressed, however messy that was, so that they know that they belong. With that radical agenda of Jesus, sometimes he shook things up a bit. So it's no surprise that the religious people were not impressed. Such an agenda that he had was really a recipe for anointed chaos. And I guess that's perhaps somehow how people feel, that sometimes the church can seem a bit like a glorious house of created messiness shaken about by the Holy Spirit. You see, God mentioned, well, God welcomed and Jesus welcomed all sorts of different people into his kingdom. I'll just give you one example of the person, one of the people who was, well, clearly a very messed up person that Jesus welcomed into the kingdom. In Mark chapter 5, verse 2 to 10, you can read the story of the tomb raider, a man who lived in the tombs and shared his life, or well, his life was possessed by an unclean spirit. And he wandered about in the tombs, and when Jesus came into that area, the man ran out to meet him. He certainly wasn't one of our sort of people. But Jesus wanted him to be part of the family of God. The man, it says in this description in, Matthew, in Mark 5, it says, the man had been chained hand and foot, but had chain, torn the chains apart and had broken the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him and he shouted at the top of his voice, what do you want to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high? Answers on a postcard, please. What do you think you would say if somebody came running, looking quite such an incredibly awful character, running to church and saying, what do you want to do with me? sons and daughters of the Most High. Was it time for Jesus to cut and run? Was it time for Jesus to put in the agenda of behaving and then believing and then belonging? Surely this man was not to be welcomed. Although this man uttered those words, actually it was the unclean spirit that was speaking through him that said, what are you to do with me? But Jesus knew exactly what to do with him. He recognized what was happening And through his Holy Spirit, he brought release, he brought freedom, and he brought healing to that man. But unless he'd met with him, he would not have had that healing and that release. And unless we welcome people of all sorts of different characters, all sorts of different temperaments, all sorts of different states of spiritual cleanliness, we will not be able to bring God's healing because we can bring God's healing. It says in 2 Corinthians 10.4 that we have divine power to demolish strongholds. And that's what Jesus was doing in that story in Mark chapter 5. He was demolishing through the power of the Holy Spirit the strongholds that were holding that man into that dreadful life amongst the dead. So he drew him into the kingdom and brought him freedom and release. So that was part of Jesus' newfound kingdom. Jesus certainly was working to God's messy church agenda that he'd set out in the very beginning in Luke. Jesus also, if we're thinking about messy church, described the process of entering the kingdom being rather like childbirth. 
and that was pre-epidural, pre-gas and air, childbirth in the natural. And he said that to become part of the kingdom of God, you need to be born three times. We didn't actually specify that, but he alluded to it in John 3, verse 1 and 8. Let's listen to the three ways in which we need to be born to be part of the kingdom of God. Thank you, Andy. John chapter 3, verses 1 to 8. Jesus teaches Nicodemus. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who has come from God. For no one could perform the, mirac- the miraculous signs you are doing if God were not with him. In reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. How can a man be born when he is old? Nicodemus asked. Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the spirit. In that passage, what Jesus is saying is that everybody is welcome, but to have that fullness of relationship with God, you need to be born three times, really. First, you need to be born in the flesh, which in itself involves much huffing and puffing, pulling and pushing, sweating and screaming, and that's just the dad. Secondly, you need to be born of water. You are to become, when you know that welcome, you are to become baptized into the family of God. You are lowered down, you are lifted up, you are dying and rising, symbolic of Jesus' death and resurrection, and you're declaring your faith and commitment to him. If you're interested in that, being baptized in water, please speak to myself or Andrew or any one of the elders, because we're going to be doing that again sometime soon for some people who already expressed that interest. But being born again and again. The third being born again was being born of the Spirit. It says in that passage, the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. Now, sometimes it's gentle, and sometimes that rebirth of the Spirit is spectacular. But through the Holy Spirit of God, we can all receive that kingdom, releasing, healing, equipping, empowering stuff that gives birth to the Spirit. That can be noisy, and it can be messy, like the man in the tombs. Or it can be really gentle, like the woman in Luke 13. It said in that passage that she was crippled by the Spirit for 18 years, She was bent right over, double. Woman, Jesus said to her, you are set free from your infirmity. He put his hands on her and immediately she straightened up and praised God. The healing bit was very quiet. 
It doesn't say whether the praising God was, but I should imagine she made a bit of a noise. But generally, if you're looking at it, those two stories are kind of messy church in the really loud and, and crazy, but they're messy church in the gentle way in which that woman needed to be gently ministered to by the Holy Spirit. Messy church can be loud and noisy, Sometimes it is here, sometimes it is at places like Soul Survivor, where the presence of God and, and the ministry that he does through his Holy Spirit can sometimes look like the scene of some kind of national disaster, after, after quake, but people prostrate before God, receiving from him. But other times, the presence of the Holy Spirit of God can be rather like that woman, in a very gentle silent way. Like it said in that hymn, still small voice of calm. And I sense that. And a number of people who were there aren't here actually, but I sense that on Thursday at our Thursday lunchtime service. There are only really about half a dozen of us there. This Thursday lunchtime and the presence of God in that place with those half a dozen people really brought, and I don't know if you've ever experienced it, a real sense of heaviness, real sense of the power. Didn't you feel it, Bruce? That, that power, at the end of that prayer, that power and that peace and that presence of God. So much so that uh, nobody really wanted to open their eyes, and the people at Birchwood Park, I don't think they really wanted to open their eyes and go back to work. It was that sense of God being there in that stillness. Messy church, but in a very different, gentle way. Who knows what God was doing in people's lives at that time? In Jerusalem, first century AD, messy church was, well, I suppose really birthed at Pentecost. Acts 2, verse 2. We read the passage, don't we, where it says noisily and incredibly, suddenly the sound like a blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? But some made fun of them and said that they'd had too much wine. Certainly something. Even those skeptics there recognized that God's power was there in some way. Well, they didn't call it God's power. They just knew that some power was there. They didn't realize and understand it. God really blew apart the religious community and those who were just there and saw these things at that meeting. He birthed his church in power and she was certainly ready to rumble. That day, a 3,000-strong, messy church was born. And that church is the church that we now, through God's grace, are part of. You see, it's easy for, to forget that. And it's also easy to forget how messed up we might have been in the past if we aren't quite so messed up now. It's easy to get too comfortable and self-satisfied and, and perhaps think that we didn't really need God's mercy. Ephesians 2 verse 1 to 10 just shows how messy we have been. And if we think we're not messy now, perhaps how messy we are now. I'd like to invite Derek to bring us that passage from Ephesians 2 verse 1 to 10.
So this is headed, made alive in Christ. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace, expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith, and this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Amen. If we claim to be messy church, we always need to be prepared for someone to come and anoint our carpet. You may perhaps know what reading I'm referring to. Simon the Pharisee in Luke 7.36 got frustrated by a messy woman who came and really for him, ruined his dinner party with Jesus. He'd not actually made Jesus very welcome. He'd not given him a hug when he arrived. He'd not given him a kiss. He'd not washed his dusty feet, as was the custom in those days. And when an uninvited, messed-up woman guest came, Simon was furious. She wasn't on the list. She's not RSVP'd. And there she was, crying, huge, feet-soaking tears, kissing Jesus' feet, and pouring expensive oil all over him and Simon's floor. She knew she was messed up. She knew her only hope was Jesus. Simon, who thought he was very tidy, who was very self-satisfied and self-sufficient, didn't like her messing up his tidy life. When we think about that story of what is messy church, what is messy encounter with the living God, when we think about those three characters in the story, which one do we most identify with? Is it the messy woman who has so much to thank God for, for his forgiveness and for his mercy and for his love, that she just pours everything out of herself? in thanksgiving and praise? Is it the frustrated Simon who thinks, what on earth is she doing here? We didn't invite her. Or is it Jesus who seeing her great love and seeing her great distress just forgives and shares his father's love and mercy? 
broken woman, host, or forgiving Jesus. Let us come before our God in prayer. Let us pray. We thank you, Father God, for the privilege of being messy people in a messy church. And we come before you like the woman in the story, offering everything of ourselves to you. Offering the things we've done to mess up that we're sorry for. Offering the ways in which other people have messed us up that we need to be prepared to offer forgiveness for. Offering the things that we've messed about in other people's lives, everything that we have and are, Lord. We come before you and bring our mess before the cross and say, Lord, please forgive me. Please help me to forgive. But also help me to receive your forgiveness. If we come like the Pharisee, a bit OCD, we say, sorry, Lord. Help us to know the heart and the compassion of Father God. Help us to let go of the things that are not on your agenda and let God give us a new heart and put a new spirit within us. Help us to be more like Jesus, to be transformed ever more into his image so that we can be his light and his offer his forgiveness through what he's done for us on the cross. In and through Jesus' name we pray. Amen.